Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hi, welcome to another episode of Med Family. I wanted to I guess, start off uh, with a, kind of a quick congratulations to Karen. It was like tonight, yeah, you're not going to fight me for the covers. Nope. Eric got burnt. <laughs> to Kingdom Come today, doing yard work. He's completely radiating heat. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 we got a, a new toy. We got a... We, he, he got we, a new we toy. We got, we got everything we do, is we do together. <laughs> sure. His uh, father get, Father's Day gift to himself came, and so he uh, was power washing today. Yeah, the pressure washer. I'm a huge fan of anything that uses water just the blast things whether that's the steamer or if that's the, the pressure washer so it's actually a lot of fun you kind of go back and forth on the the cement and you can you can see like getting really clean and so it's actually a lot of fun to do I, I don't know why I'm not complaining ladies let your husband get these toys and they will clean with them and they can be the, pr- the pressure washer cannot be used inside but the steamer like that can be used for the shower for the walls if you're careful yeah it was a lot of fun um maybe a little bit too much time in the front of the house with the direct sun reading on me it's a tomato now i have definite red spots all over my not red um both my upper torso is basically red and i apologize to all my neighbors that had to see me without a shirt on (laughs) it's rather unfortunate for them but Most of them are all Only older. the real downside is that like, as you're spraying off the brick uh, in front of the house, it shoots little pebbles back at you. And and having the shower afterwards was kind of exciting to have the shower and all those little pebbles that as you're trying to rub them off and scrape them off, it, it kind of like how a pumice stone, I imagine, would feel like. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like exfoliating your skin. I mean, minus the sunburn, but <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't too terrible. Yeah, in three days you won't have any skin. It'll all be peeling off. <laughs> yeah, I'll be able to start my clerkships with uh, with peeling skin. I got some a pretty good chest um, chest tan lines going on now, which is always exciting. <laughs> <laughs> the sun was coming from directly above, and my my ample bosom was uh, protecting parts of my chest from getting sun. So now now they are very white and. I'm very red. Uh, so that was, um, that's kind of how we started today off a little bit. Well, not not, not exactly. We You had to go to an appointment with a, a friend, and I ended up taking the kids to drop off some coffee for you. But I should probably not, I guess, avoid this topic. Uh, step score. We did actually get our step score back on Wednesday. And uh, I'm going to do my best to make this sound like it was a huge win for me, even though <laughs> I'm going to be like a politician. I'm going to try to make this into a huge win when really um, I probably spent a lot the two days following the, getting the steps to sort of being a little bit disappointed. He was pissed. Disappointed. <laughs> he was in a pissy mood. <laughs> but. Not, not what I expected. It was a pass, though. It was a pass. It was not 
what it wasn't a, a close to the predicted score, and so that was what was disappointing because you you study and you wait till you're feeling like you can get the predicted score. The score that is is predicted of you um, is what you want or in the range that you want. And then you try and schedule and take it as close to that time as, pos- as possible. And then to come back with that not being the case is... Being significantly under the predicted. Is frustrating. But, I mean, it did happen to several of your classmates yeah. as well. I know. And there's a part where you kind of go for this weird grieving process where you, you're kind of going, oh, well, maybe USMLE just screwed up and they're going to send out a, an, an announcement at some point saying that, oh, we forgot to calculate things correctly. And you actually got 20 points above what you what we gave you. And that's never going to happen. <laughs> but you slowly kind of come to terms with it. You kind of chat with some of your other friends and colleagues who've taken it. And okay. It's been an uphill battle in med school so far. Why not? Why not more? You just move forward from here, and we're we're gonna keep on trucking. Yeah, which just got got me into this mood of getting my getting my resume kind of beefed up, trying to get my. We worked on some research at the end of the last term, and we kind of concluded that it really wasn't noteworthy research, and so we weren't gonna try to publish it. It was something that we presented to the term, but nothing that we thought was going to be worthy enough to get into a journal. I now have adopted the idea that, well, might as well just give it a try, and the worst that happens is the journals say no. So I've been trying to type up the research, trying to make it worthwhile that a journal might might be able to take on, and even if it's not particularly exciting research, uh, it's not research as a case report. I shouldn't say research as a case report. And hopefully, maybe we get it published, and that would be helpful for the resume. Yeah, well, and you've also contacted a resident. Yeah, I reached out to another resident um, in the area. He has a connection to the school. He's not from the school, but maybe he would be cons- he would consider the opportunity to pass off his grunt work to me so I can write his case reports up, and that will give me at least another, I don't know, another published article. Maybe I can try to get it. Because right now, I don't have my clerkships until Monday of next week. Uh, to the 19th. And so I'm basically just sitting around hanging out, relaxing as best as I can. He's not sitting around hanging out, relaxing. He spent all day pressure washing, cleaning out the garage. The garage looks great. (laughs) The garage does look great. And trying to beef up the retaining wall. And mind you, this is a rental. This is not our house. That retaining wall is going to be good. Our kids keep knocking it down, so it's got to it's got to come back up. It's got to it's got to work. Needless to say, this thunderstorm isn't helping me. I was had all these bricks <laughs> out and going to dry, and now the thunderstorm rolls in. I got to wait another twenty four hours. Oh darn! No, Eric does like we have said in the past. Eric does not do relaxing well, but I don't think that anyone that is attracted to being a doctor necessarily does. I mean, I was talking to one of the other spouses today and she was talking about how her husband's going nuts as well. And he's doing all these projects and they got back from a family trip and immediately went and organized and cleaned their garage. And she's like, it's 11 o'clock at night. There was a three hour time change. I just want to go to bed. Like, why are we doing this? We can do this some other time. And so (laughs) she was trying to think of things that she could give her husband to do that she didn't have to do. (laughs) 
think the garage is a perfect one. <laughs> well, he 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 included her in that one, oh. and yeah, mind you, she is also almost thirty weeks pregnant. Is she going to hit that nesting stage at some point, and she's just going to clean everything from top to bottom? I mean, she's not exactly very tall, so maybe she can't really clean top to bottom. Oh, but be nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I never really hit that nesting stage. Like four inch wife. I am not six four. I'm not. Maybe six. Maybe six. Maybe six. Closer to five eleven. She can reach high things. Yeah. Where were we going with that? (laughs) You were saying. I never hit that nesting stage, so I don't know. I don't know if she's going to hit that nesting stage or not. But they really can't until they get rid of um, their roommate. Get rid of their roommate. Well, so not, he moves out. He moves out. He's but <laughs> not trying to actively get rid of him. No, they're not. No, that, that came out wrong. I was just, <laughs> like, she, but she can't really make a space for the baby until they have the extra room. It's called a cardboard box next to the bed <laughs> with some blankets in it. Perfect. Uh huh. Not medical advice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we actually had a friend that did that. She was just like, you just you can put him in his lo- big. Box, you know, a couple blankets folded up nicely, and and they start, you know, you can just push them into the closet if you need to, and you can bring them out. It was a, a very odd situation. I never had seen that before, but it was very in, ingenious. Or well, we shouldn't be judging too harshly because, quite frankly, when we first moved to the island, we had one child in a pack and play, and two in regular beds and we had not tr- transitioned our child from the pack and play to a regular bed yet and so our baby our three month old three three in regular beds right no so what was At, the other one towards the he slept in a um dresser drawer by our bed for the first few months Why don't of I being on the that? island we never closed the drawer. It's, no, no, the drawer was pulled out okay. of the dresser. Oh, that's right. It was, out, it was on, on the table next to the bed. Stuck on the I, table next I to my side of the now. bed. <laughs> so something to But we didn't the- have... We, we tried to transition our... Well, how old was he at that point? Not... I mean, because he just turned three. Mm-hmm. So he was been like we, four One and five. a half? Yeah. Who are we talking about? Xander. Xander was <laughs> in the pack and play. We hadn't transitioned Xander out of the pack and play yet. And when I tried, it 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 didn't work very well. So we had to wait until he was a little bit old enough to transition into the bed and not completely fall off. He never fell off. We we did a good job. We, made we sure. did. But I was just saying, like, <laughs> it sounded really weird until we got to the island and we're like, hey. This actually works. This works. <laughs> we should do this because we don't have any other options. Yeah. So, yeah, medical students maybe... Not maybe not maybe not is maybe too much of a generalization, but we don't relax well, especially when we have a boy. He this other guy he he had like two weeks where he was visiting family and whatnot, so he was pretty pretty busy during that time. Yeah. Some other things I've been kind of working on, kind of boosting resume. I was looking over a fellow student in my term was, and this, this is hopefully maybe Karen can jump in on this one, but she is working, she's kind of doing a discussion in a group. And I don't want to name the group per se, and I don't want to sound like a complete hypocrite because I'm going to probably join this organization because they have volunteer opportunities that I want to take advantage of. But what they were offering was this kind of seminar Thing. You can go a little bit more in depth on certain topics, and it was offered for free. 
And I was looking, I was like, oh, this, this would be great. This would be kind of interesting to learn some new stuff. And I didn't sign, I ended up not signing up for it because I think that one of the seminars was re, women reproductive health. And I, I am not uninterested in women reproductive health. I just don't think eight out of the 10 topics should be covering abortion. I think that it's a little, it kind of minimizes women's reproductive health a bit. And I know this, maybe this is a controversial take for maybe a medical podcast, but a family one, but I'll, I'll just come, I guess, straight out and say that I'm not exactly a big fan of abortion. And I understand that in the medical community, that is a, it is a procedure that is allowed and is done by OBGYNs and other physicians. And so I, I can understand having it as part of the discussion. I just think it's a bit of a, a bit crazy that it's eight out of 10 topics are touching on abortion. When women, women reproductive health is more than just whether or not they can abort a child. Like there's other things that women's health actually, we could, as physicians, we should know more about or we should be better able to help our patients with. Well, I always found it. So, so the appointment that I, I went to this morning was a glucose test and ultrasound and doctor's appoint, appointment for 20, 29 weeks pregnant, right? We have four kids. This will be her second. And it it was interesting to me because, I mean, I have my experiences, but I haven't actually ever gone to anyone, anyone else's appointments. And it was just interesting to me because in the actual doctor's appointment, she wasn't touched once. They didn't measure her belly. They didn't listen to the baby. They the just un- talked. The uninitiated, it's like taking a measuring tape from the top of the stomach to the pelvic bone. Yeah, they try and find the, yeah. Um, and you're, you're supposed to kind of measure within cor- the weeks. Yeah, it's supposed to correspond to where you're at in the progression of your pregnancy. And that's where they can tell whether or not the baby is growing at the rate they expect or there's maybe an issue that they should go take a look at. Yeah, but that was really surprising to me. They just They just talked and made sure that the baby was moving. She didn't have any concerns. Maybe it's supposed to context. How many weeks into it is she? She's 29, 29, well, 28 and four days. She's about 29 days, okay. 20, 29 weeks. But there were things mentioned in the appointment, like, when should I start doing kick counts? I never did kick counts. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that you were supposed to take five minutes and just count how many kicks your baby is making I'm during that honest, time. I, I never heard that before either. Like... Maybe I'll learn that in my OB rotation. <laughs> I don't know. Never done it. Like, that was nothing out of out of four kids. Not once was that ever mentioned to me. The glucose test that she took was an hour long. All of mine were the three hours. I didn't have the option of an hour long one. Didn't know that was a thing. What's, what's your favorite flavor for glucose? <sighs> None of them taste good. Um, none I didn't of... ask you if they tasted good. Right? So <laughs> which one's your favorite? The lemon lime is like a flat... Sprite, I guess. Perfect. The orange is like a little bit more disgusting than Tang. I never we the what the clinic that I went to when I was pregnant. I don't think that they had the fruit punch. She had fruit punch today. Oh, but okay. apparently nice. some doctors do the jelly bean test. I didn't know what that was either. But apparently for a one hour, you take eighteen jelly beans and it's the equivalent amount of sugar as the drink. Seems interesting. And for a three hour, I think you take like 28 or something. I can't remember the exact number. But like those are things that I hadn't heard of before. And she had her anatomy ultrasound at 17 weeks, whereas... 
all of all dead of, at twenty. Yeah, dead at twenty every single time, uh, unless there were complications, which we did. We did have. I had. They were, I mean, they were minor complications. Which didn't seem. Minor. I mean, they don't seem minor. <laughs> you get soft markers for X, Y, and Z. And oh, you, I was talking about the bleeding. Oh, uh, very early, early on. So yeah, early on in the pregnancy, we did have a, an early on like where we came from in Washington. At least the practice that we were with the midwives and uh, OBs, it was very common to you you do your urine test that confirmed that you were pregnant, and then you would see you get initiated into the program, and then at twenty weeks is really when you get your first ultrasound. Like they don't really push ultrasounds regularly. It's not necessarily something that they feel is necessary, unless there's an issue, in which we had an issue on. Two of our pregnancies? Three. But definitely the last two. Okay, yeah, so... It was the same. I had a subchorionic hemorrhage, which is basically a, a pocket of... A sack of blood within your uterus. Chorion in yeah. uterus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and you it, it either gets reabsorbed or you bleed it out. And Which is, I mean, it's concerning when you're eight maybe less than eight weeks pregnant and suddenly you start bleeding. You kind of start thinking miscarriage. And um, we did have a nurse that kind of <laughs> was we, very... We, we had several <laughs> that were like, well, you're losing the baby. There's nothing we can really do. And it's like, no, I want an appointment. I want to, like, <laughs> I would like you to try and do something. So, I mean, we've had good and good and bad experiences, mostly good experiences with our... Birth and prenatal and postnatal... Yeah, but it was surprising to me, like, the differences, like, by state or by Just region. region. Even, I mean, the, even where we were from in Washington, you had a birthing center attached to one of the hospitals, like a separate building that was part of the hospital. And then you had another hospital that you, they had a half a floor, I think, dedicated to birthing, and the other half of the floor was dedicated to recovery. So you were still in the hospital um, but you were on your own floor. But other hospitals, it's not really quite like that. Um, you, some hospitals have nurseries, some hospitals don't. It's kind of a, it's kind of a hodgepodge what you get. And even some, you know, they want you to spend X amount of days post post uh, partum in the hospital, and others they're happy to get you out of there as soon as possible. Yeah. So when when thinking about like women's reproductive health. But it it did surprise me a little bit that eight out of ten were on abortion, just from the standpoint of I think when when I have conversations with other women, those aren't the conversations that we have. Like we've had conversations on birth control, what you use, what works well, what doesn't, how, what you react to, what your reactions are, um, whether or not you believe in it what are other options besides a pill or the injection or the iud iud thank you because there are other options they're just not talked about and then like mental menstrual cycles what's normal what's not like there's a whole bunch of things in women's health that aren't necessarily talked about i don't think and it's surprising to me like when you actually get into a group of women and you're like this is something that i'm dealing with and other women are like yeah this is what I do and it, this is what helps or whatnot. And, but that's not, that's not what women, like when I go to my postpartum visit, like the first thing that you get asked is 
how are you doing? And then the second one is what form of birth control are you going to use? It, it does change with who, who you see. Like, I felt very, very blessed to have the midwife that I did. I did see multiple midwives, so I did get different reactions to what... And the one you saw in the office was not the same one who delivered any of our kids. No, she never, she never delivered any of our kids. But I saw her for most of my appointments. But the appointments that I didn't see her for, like, you, when you would have that conversation, you could tell whether or not they agreed with you, with you or not. And uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're going to do natural family planning? We'll see you in nine months. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which we are... I, oh, I'll just put it out there. Right now we're doing the Ava bracelet, and we are quite happy with that. It, it's it's a natural family planning. It's, it's funny, even in medical school, they touch on it briefly. They touch on not the Ava bracelet, but like natural family planning, and they always kind of go... Yeah, and there's these people who just count the calendar and they take a guess and that's how they they do their birth control. And it's like, well, that's that is a style. Um, that was is, that was not what we were using. It, there's a there's a bunch of different styles of birth con, you know, um, you can call it birth control, but the natural family planning and whatnot. And it's kind of funny as, as medical students, you kind of learn the cycles, you learn women's reproductive system. The you know luteal phase, the menstrual phases, and all those fun stuff, and you kind of realize, and you should learn that women are only really fertile during certain periods of time, and then so you don't necessarily have to be on birth control in order to prevent pregnancy. You guys just have to be aware of where you're at in your cycle, and it isn't just counting calendar days; it's physiological changes, uh, and I think probably that's a field that could use some more science coming out of it and some more um, studies and whatnot. So uh, to some degree, we're, we're going a little bit off of faith that some of the physiological signs that we're getting out of your, your bracelet you wear every night that you know draws a nice pretty chart and is able to pretty well predict your ovulation dates and I think pretty accurately just based on how <laughs> we not gotten pregnant for a while and uh, sometimes we have gotten pregnant yeah yeah prior to the we got prior to the bracelet we were doing like the Creighton model and I was with having having kids working full-time like I wasn't doing a very good job of charting I just wasn't and that was fine because we weren't not wanting to have kids but when it came to going to the island I did not want to be pregnant I did not want to have a child on the island I wanted just to focus modern, on the four kids, modern medicine, <laughs> and to focus on, on the kids that we had. And so I was like, we need to look into other options. Birth control, the traditional birth control, was not on my radar, partially because I, I, just I don't, I have a great aversion to it. And two, your mom has had a bad. My react. mom and my older sister had horrible reactions. So I was like, I don't even want to go there. And quite frankly. From talking to other women that went to the island, you will be changing up your birth control with whatever is available at the time. Mm-hmm. None of them were able to have whatever birth control that they, if they were taking a pill, you just take, you just grab what is available at the time. So yeah, you the might. the pharmacist would give you what they, they had in stock and that's what you that's worked what you with. Took. So you might be changing name brands pretty frequently. Pretty frequently. So. If you do go to a 
Caribbean school, just keep that in mind. A lot of times they recommend if you take regular medications to get like six months supplies or longer so that you can have what you need uh, and not rely on the supply chain of the island. Right. But I did, I did want to kind of switch a little bit gears. I mean, we're still talking about preventing pregnancy or there's, you know, the other side of it is the, the abortion portion of it. But I... I think one of those parts of women's reproductive health is really that postpartum period, even like almost immediately postpartum women's health and how that can be pretty variant and yes, could, well, could be improved upon. Well, I just, I felt like a lot of like you get walked through like you're pregnant. This is, this is what's going to happen to your body. This is how your baby is growing you get walked through birth. Yeah, you go but, to the birthing class. You learn the breathing techniques. Or, or, we, or well, like or, us, we or never went to a birthing class. you got sick and you just didn't go. And <laughs> Well, you've already had one baby, so you don't need to go to a class. So we never actually did go to a birthing class. So maybe this is something that is discussed in a birthing class. But it was never discussed with me and it really caught me off guard was the postpartum care. And even with our, so with our first, I don't know, this, this might be T, TMI, I don't know. It's a medical show. Here we go. <laughs> but with our first, we got sent home and I think we must have sent at least six messages or called at least because I was running a fever. I was bleeding a lot, but we weren't sure what is too much. Oh, or, so yeah, at the after birth, you were bleeding, and they were asking about clot sizes. Clot sizes. We were. I was running a temperature, <laughs> but it was controlled with. Is it golf Tylenol. ball size or a half a dollar size? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a big clot. Like I'm bleeding a lot, and they they kept saying, "Oh, you're probably fine if your temperature is being controlled. Just slow down. You're probably fine." And then two weeks later, we were at church and one of my girlfriends came up to me and she says, Karen, you are white as a sheet. You are white as a sheet. You Are you still bleeding? And are you still bleeding a lot? And I'm like, yes. She's like, you need to go, you need to make an appointment and you need to go in. And basically I hadn't passed all of the, the afterbirth. And so. Which is actually pretty, now that I learned about it in medical school, pretty dangerous. Yeah, but it was to the point where they're like, well, we don't necessarily want to go back in. So they gave me basically the equivalent of like... I think it was a... a it was It's a basically, a, I think, a prostaglandin that induces contract contraction of the uterus. Because they didn't want to go and do a DNC. They felt like it was a little bit too far past um, the birth that they didn't want to cut into the uterus and try to... Uh, what are they doing in the DNC? They didn't want to do that, so they they gave you a prostate like a prostaglandin to to cause your uterus to contract more to try to kind of either yeah. seal up that bleeding or yeah. force out that. that yeah, last so I had an bit. awful three days, but like. But it took we, you actually a while to find that that medication. You went to like three different pharmacies to get that. Yeah, we had to call. call um, thankfully, my mom my mom came with me so that she could help me with baby and help me get get around because I was exhausted. Newborn plus all the blood loss, I was just exhausted. So yeah, we had to call around and it took us a while because that is not a, a readily I, readily I, available in that amount because I had to take it for three straight days. So I don't, I don't know. That number of pills was not, I don't know, the pharmacies didn't have them. <laughs> I have no idea, but it took, it took about, I think 
after the first two pharmacies not having it, we started just calling around until we could find one that had it. Well, and even, I mean, that's that's a pretty significant story of a kind of afterbirth care that could have been could have been a lot worse. And that was maybe partially a misunderstanding on our part of what what you needed to just how you needed to describe your bleeding or maybe to advocate for yourself a little bit more. But I think also the other two things I want to, I guess, touch on are like the care you received in the hospital right after birth and then postpartum depression. Yes. So let's go with care immediately post-birth. post-birth. You pushed out the baby <laughs> and they're, they are still working on you down, down below. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm always amazed because I'll, you are the patient up until when the baby is born and then you feel like you're not the patient anymore. You, but you still are because you're still being taken care of. And it, it, they still have a nurse assigned to you to get, you know, go take you to the bathroom the first time and shower. Yes, but like like you're still getting sewn up, you're still having the afterbirth, but they're trying to get the baby to the feed. The uterus massage. Like, oh, those are the worst. <laughs> it's a massage. How bad can it be? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just pummel Ooh. your stomach that's already been pummeled. But I didn't get a massage after <laughs> the birth. It was pretty stressful. But <laughs> like you're. Your experience post-birth will just, vary. just walk straight past that one. <laughs> Not even going to talk about Not that. Not even going to touch that one. Will vary depending on your nursing staff. So with our first one, like they came in every two, three hours. They woke us up. They want us. That was our experience with the first, first baby. With our second baby, my nurse said, hey, I know you're going to be getting up to feed the baby. I don't think it's very... Like, I wouldn't want somebody to come waking me me up to do all the vitals and everything. Just hit the button when the baby wakes up. And if it's been more than four hours, I'm going to come in and check on you. But just hit the button when you get up. That way I'm not waking you guys up to do vitals. And that was beautiful. And then after that... Every single baby after that, that is what I asked for because you get some sleep, the baby gets some sleep, you don't get bugged. You, like when when yeah, you it's pretty awful at two a.m. in the morning, the lights cl- turn on and suddenly you're woken up from your sleep. The baby's woken up, and you know maybe they just went down thirty minutes ago after the bottle, you know, being fed and changed, and now they're angry, and now you have to figure out do you try to feed them again to get them to calm down? It's not an it's not a pleasant experience. I can see why some people really want to get out of that hospital ASAP because it, it can be not relaxing and you're already, you're a new parent. You're not going to be relaxed at all, uh, at least not for the first maybe couple years. Yeah. But I think, I think the biggest impact, like that, that was a big impact. The nurses allowing you to sleep and working around you and your baby's schedule is, is a beautiful thing. Now, with staffing, that may not always be the yeah, an if there's option. like a ton of births going on, then maybe that's not what's going to happen. But ask for it if you can, right? But I think the next biggest impact is the immediate, like, post-birth. So two of our babies came immensely quick, and I did not get an epidural. And two... I did, but the two that... So you've experienced it both ways, you know? <laughs> well, the two that you did, that, that I did get the epidural, it didn't really, like, you're numb, so it didn't really matter what they were doing to me post-birth. Feeding the baby wasn't a problem, or trying to get that skin-on-skin skin wasn't a problem, but for, like, the natural birth, you still feel everything. You're still, like, it... 
it's painful. They're trying to sew you up. They're trying to numb you. And that numbing shot hurts. Because you do tear during... Yeah. Many people tear during um, birth. So when the nurses are trying to get you to breastfeed or to have the skin on skin, it's cringeworthy. And with our last one, I just looked at Eric and I was just like, you need to take the baby. I think to to, to kind of set the scene, because I think that's important, you, you have just pushed out a baby and you're in the horrible hospital gown. So the baby's just come out, and I can't remember the umbilical cord was cut no. at this point. And they, they go, well, it's best practice to do immediate skin-on-skin contact. So on top of, you know, the lower section of Karen being exposed and the midwife is down there working on the tear that needs to be stitched up, now her entire top has been, you know, has been removed so that it can you know, be accessible for skin-on-skin top contact. And then add in the fact that the room is like 60 degrees warm (laughs) or cold. And and post-birth, your body does go into some state of shock. Like with every single birth, like I have gotten the shivers. That's not a technical medical term. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. I don't know what the technical medical term is, but I have gotten the, the shivers and gotten very cold after every single birth. And that's why they always bring you a warm blanket. Like that's that is the yeah. best. But in this in this situation you have like you know, midwife doing her thing, the nurses on the side doing their thing, baby's just like you Karen just stripped from the top down and then, you know, basically she just has her gown around her stomach and the baby's plopped on top of her and you can, I can kinda of tell and you know, she definitely gave me the look of like, get take the baby, I just need a minute. I need a minute to not <laughs> <laughs> not be completely exposed to a room full of people, and well, and it, it wasn't like you didn't want, you didn't like love Judah. Uh, no, <laughs> no, it was. I I have always had issues getting my kiddos to latch, and you especially have to relax in order to feed, and you're not gonna be able <laughs> and to you relax. And like needles and stitches yeah. are going in. And right, please right. Please relax while and latch onto my boo while. <laughs> It's not going to happen. And so I was just like, you know what? Let dad have his moment for, and let me get back into a good place before we, before we try this. And I think that's something that sometimes mom can get forgotten in, in everything. Cause it is best practice for the the baby, but the baby is still going to be fine if the baby goes to dad first. Yeah. It just, I mean, being just caught, uh, maybe talking to the mom, seeing what they're wanting. And it's a lot of things, like, even last week, I think we talked about breastfeeding versus formula. And I think I even made the statement, it's like, whatever's not going to drive you insane is what you need to be doing. Because what drives you insane is not going to help the baby. It's not going to help you. And so you're not just, you're just not going to do well. And everyone needs to do well. <laughs> mom definitely needs to do well. And baby definitely needs to do well. Yeah. Well, and so we've we've had... Several several of our friends have suffered with the postpartum depression. I had, like, the baby blues, probably, after... You had a little bit of anxiety after the first one. Yeah, but nothing is near as bad as And that's something, something that's not always discussed in detail. You kind of get an idea that they're looking for something, because in the first few appointments, you get questions like, have you thought about harming yourself or what are your thoughts about if the baby just went away and there's some kind of how often do you cry (laughs) yeah there's some leading questions that they're they're looking for a psychological issue and um maybe it would have been better if they would have mentioned 
especially for the spouses as well. And maybe this is my own little soapbox. And I know as a, as a husband, it's not all about me. It's I'm not, the, I'm not the one that gave birth to a child. And I'm not the one that is primarily going to be feeding the child because I, I don't lactate. But I, I feel like a lot of women's health sometimes decouples the spouse from the process. Uh, even I remember the first appointment you had when we first got pregnant, kind of feeling like a lot of the questions you had to answer the nurse was uncomfortable with me being there because I'm sure there's, of course, stories of abusive relationships and abusive spouses and significant others that apply pressure to the interview. It can't go well and the history taking doesn't go well. But like as a spouse, like I want to be able to help my wife get through postpartum. I want to help my wife during the pregnancy. So sometimes giving the spouse information can help make them a partner in the process as opposed to an accessory. Yeah. Well, and I think too, just after, especially after our first, give your, give your spouse, women, give your spouse something to do because (laughs) no, no, like in the hospital, your spouse feels useless. They can't help you with the pain. They can't help you with the birth. They can't do much of anything, but they can change a diaper. They can fill out the paperwork. They can keep track of the poops and the peas. Yep. They can get you what you want or what you need. Give your husband a job. And even at home, like the, I felt like I felt so bad, but Eric's job when we got home was keep my water bottle full, take care of whatever other kids that we uh, had. The the pads that she was using, some of them need to be in the freezer. Yeah. And then make sure the, um, I don't know what that spray was called, but that spray. Dermoplast. Dermoplast. Make sure that was stocked. (laughs) Make sure, I mean, whatever you needed when you needed the feed. Because, again, she was breastfeeding and I don't lactate, so I cannot really help in that process. Besides, I can bring the baby to her. I can take the baby back. I can rock the baby. I can burp the baby. I can try my hand at swaddling the baby. I'm not exactly the best swaddler, but. You well, know. our our babies don't really like to be the, the skate artist. <laughs> but like um, the hands by their face. Yeah, our babies did broke all the rules. So, like in the hospital, they really want you to keep the baby. At least the hospital we were at, they really want the baby to be stay in their cradle like thing in the middle of the room. And our babies would not sleep in that. And the only way for them to sleep was if they would cuddle up to mom or dad. Well, and I'm sure anyone can imagine a reclined adult in a chair or in a hospital bed. It, there's obviously, there's got to be some story of a baby like rolling down the entire length of adult and onto the floor. Not, not a good situation. Or off the hospital bed or being smothered in a hospital bed. Like not things that any hospital staff wants to deal with. So, of course, they're going to tell you. Keep no. the baby in the cradle. But our babies would not sleep in the cradle, and we wanted them to sleep. So we broke some rules there. Yeah, and some some nurses are nicer than others. <laughs> so, and, I mean... And I've heard of stories of... I mean, we, we kept the baby with us, and I've heard of stories of women who are like, look, I just birthed this baby. I need 12 hours of... Yeah, you know, I need some sleep. And... Some hospitals have nurseries, and you send the kid off to the nursery for a little bit, and the the nurses will take care of them. And then after that's all done, the baby goes back to mom, and there goes the that's the postpartum period. Again, everybody's a little bit different, so you got to figure out what works 
and go with that. Because, again, if you're going to drive yourself insane, you're not going to be in great shape. Yeah. All this to say, I think, I think, anyways, all this to say that there is so much more to women's health that I think needs to be discussed. And it was disappointing to see that... Only one facet of women's health is actually discussed on a regular basis. Well, I feel... Yes, I feel like it's the hot-button political portion that gets discussed the most. And really, I don't think that is actually what is most helpful to women. Well, and just considering that many, many women... I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I would suspect most women are more likely to give birth than have an abortion. And so why aren't we talking more about that? I guess a lot of... A lot of what you experienced, I kind of, being an onlooker, I kind of felt like everything was assumed you would know. As a woman, you know your body, and so you it's assumed that you would just know that, hey, maybe after 40 minutes of pushing, you might poop in front of somebody. Or, uh, you know. Yeah, that, childbirth is so glamorous. Not. Yeah, well, you get asked, like, do you want the mirror up? And you're just like... No, who mm-hmm. wants to see that? Who wants to <laughs> see that? Some people do. I know some, some people, people do. do. <laughs> no, I don't want to see that. <laughs> well, even recently, you've been listening to... I think you've been listening to some sort of show by some OBGYN, and she talks to things. And I think you mentioned, like, I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Well, you're um, a woman. You should know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the whole the whole... It's a she's on Facebook, but the whole concept is women ask this OBGYN questions that they don't know. And she's answering them from a medical standpoint, but these are like, these are things that women should be taught. I don't know. No, it's, it's fine. I think we could do a lot better. Um, especially when we speak about like disparities and of course you'll see the studies of disparities in um, women's health and pregnancy, postpartum, etc. I'm not going to speak much on that because I, I don't have any real strong opinions one way or another. I, my only real opinion is as a physician, all the physicians I know going into this field, or not this field of OBGYN, but training to be a doctor, they're all, I think they all intend to give their best to every patient they have. I, I don't know of anyone, I, I can't think of anyone in my term or my class that I would peg as somebody to keep an eye on that might treat one demographic worse than another so I'm not saying that it doesn't exist I'm just saying I, I, I'm just shocked at so many doctors who come into this field and into this um, field of medicine and there's disparities it, it's something that's interesting to me I, I wish I knew more about it why it was happening as opposed to just being told it is I'm, I'm more of a problem solutions oriented person so Sometimes just being told that there's a problem doesn't necessarily tell me that I can fix it in a particular way. But it actually kind of brings up kind of my last point I wanted to talk about today. And that's business of medicine. That's not a very sexy topic. That's not something that as doctors like, oh, we went into medicine so that we can make a ton of money. Maybe some people did. Or, hey, I wanted to go into medicine so I can do a business plan and you know, run, run a business. And some doctors do. But my, I guess my point with bringing it up is we can be really good doctors, but if our business sucks, patients are not going to be happy. And patients, like, you want your patients to come back. You want your patients to trust you. Um, and I'm just drawing off of my uh, somewhat recent experience. And again, 
I mentioned maybe the last episode, the one before I had gotten the physical and I was just um, kind of thinking over it. And so I, I have dual coverage. I have state state coverage as well as an insurance that is offered through my school. So I'm double, double coverage. But for whatever reason, the physical I got, I still had to pay a copay, which in Washington, if you had double coverage, you didn't. I would have to double check Georgia's laws. I think Georgia's the same when I looked it up. Um, and so it's kind of like, it's a little frustrating that you're, you know, paying money out of pocket when you're like, well, I, I probably shouldn't be. And you have both my insurances. I, I literally handed you the card and then I came, came back for another. So during the first appointment, I mentioned, Hey, I did one shot of my hepatitis A vaccination. I would like to get the second one done because it's a two shot series and uh, I think they heard me. I, I mentioned it a couple times, and then I left that day without getting the shot. And so my school kind of mentioned that if you weren't up to date on all your vaccinations, that they might not let you start your rotation. So, of course, I called the doctor's office back up and said, hey, would really like to get the second shot, just get it taken care of and done with. And they said, sure, come on in. And so I did. I got charged a $50 copay. <laughs> Saw the doctor for a couple minutes. I think he was a little confused of why he was seeing me, you know, a week or two after he'd seen me before. We had nothing to discuss. And then I saw a nurse and got a shot. Whereas where I used to work, that would have been just purely a nurse visit. You just show up, the nurse sees you, make sure you're okay to take the shot, you get the shot, and then you go home. And so, again, this is like business. <laughs> this is how your office staff works. This is how they handle the customer. Another thing that was frustrating me was... I signed up for the appointment online uh, for the first appointment and then I, I went online and filled out all the paperwork that they had and then I got a phone call saying oh you need you need to fill out paperwork and I said well I did I did it on the portal and they said no 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 don't do the portal go onto this link and do this thing so I did I did the same exact paperwork at least twice it's very frustrating <laughs> you feel like you're being proactive and it's it's very convenient to be able to do the questionnaire before you even arrive at the doctor's office as opposed to sitting in the waiting room and doing it yourself and wait before you get your appointment but then they have to do it in duplicate because they don't have a handle on their own technology that's not particularly great that's not so you i guess your patient can be very dissatisfied before they even see the doctor based on how the business is set up Yes, and you will always have dissatisfied patients because of insurance or they had a bad day or whatnot. We're going to see patients who are be aware that there are things that you can do to mitigate the the bad experiences that your patients do have. Like you have no control over whether or not the insurance is going to pay for something. Insurance has their prerequisites for yes and no. Well, (laughs) you do if you document well. And you meet the medical criteria of the procedure, you do have control. If you don't document well, they will not get approved, and your patient will not get the procedure, and they will have to pay for it out of pocket. So you do have some control. Okay, fine. I'm speaking from a so Eric did did. Uh, I was a surgery coordinator, so this was like bread and butter for me. Yeah, and I worked at a, a long-term care pharmacy, so my authorizations were all. For medications, his were for procedures. So we're coming at it from a little bit different point of view. Pharmacy coverage, sometimes there's just very little that you can do. 
if there is the tiers and medications and which ones you have to try first, even if you had been on a particular medication before. If you switched insurances, even if they were under the same conglomerate, you still have to get the prior authorization, even if they're almost out of it. Like, and that's not us saying that's a great system. We love it. That's no, just no, us no. Saying, that's it's just, just how the system is. Be you, aware <laughs> of what the system is, and. I mean, you do your best. You, you as a doctor, you're not gonna know all the all the billing. There's no way you you pay people you pay people to do that yeah. for you. And most doctors today are not going into private practice. They're going into larger practices, hospitals, and whatnot. But you still have to play the game. You still have to document. You still have to know how to help your patients. And this is again. The unglamorous, unsexy side of medicine, like I got into medicine to help my patients, advocate for them, and make sure that they are treated well and give them, you know, give them the best treatment possible. I didn't get into medicine to fill out insurance paperwork, make prior authorization, peer-to-peer phone calls, but you have to play the game a little bit. You have to know what the medical policies are to some extent. Like you have to understand at some point, what the insurance company is looking for so you can work it worth the system. I mean, many people will get online and complain that, oh, the insurance company is telling doctors how to practice. It's like, well, maybe, in the, in the, at least the pharmacy component, that, that definitely made sense. A lot of the procedures that I saw that were denied were just purely because documentation was just not there. And the insurance companies were relying on research, research studies that showed effectiveness based off of treatment I, mean, I worked in orthopedics so we all talked you know everything was all conservative treatment prior and some of that was ridiculous like okay bone on bone arthritis we're not going to cure that with physical therapy <laughs> we, we need to be realistic about this but again it's just if you just want to butt your head up against the system and throw your head hands up in the air and say that's ridiculous why how can the insurance companies be like that you can you're just going to be very frustrated and very upset and probably pretty miserable but if you want to, like some many of the doctors I worked with, maybe talk to your office staff, figure out what do they need to see in order to get this approved. And none of them committed fraud. They always like, okay, if they just need me to describe what I'm seeing on my x-ray in a more radiological sense, because most of the orthopedics in the practice would read their own x-rays. And so they would use shorthand terms that they were used to but the insurance company was looking for very specific wording that was there just not how they would like to see it and so the doctors just say okay i just need to adjust how i said this great here we go yeah but i think the main point you're getting at is you are you are the doctor but don't discount your support staff because they can make or break you as a doctor with how your patients perceive how well they're taken care of. Yep. And yeah, you can offer the best care. And if your support staff isn't there, quite aren't providing quite what is needed to the patient. And I'm not saying you should fire them. They're incompetent. Like, it's just training up. It's trying to figure out how to work the system and working together. And you can have a really good practice. But again, it's the business of medicine. It's not fun. It's not awesome it's not what you went into medical school for but it will help your patients because they can be very frustrated before they even get to see you and if you can solve those problems before they see you the the clinician interview will go a lot better yes you're looking at the the time and i have no idea how long we've been talking (laughs) 
I'm well, using a different recording program, and uh, it says bars instead of time, which I think is just a, an issue of me not changing a setting. But. Oh, well, I was just, I was looking at the time because last week we got cut short a little bit, and I wanted to kind of... Anyway, okay, go for it. Harken back. <laughs> Oh, you guys, last week you were saying, I had two things, and I was like, no, no, we're cutting it off. We're at, <laughs> we're at like 45 minutes. We're done. Uh, so, so now, thing number two. Thing number two <laughs> is be sure, so in medical school, you have to prioritize your time. And if you have a family, let's be honest, most of your time goes to your school, and then you have your family time. And I just wanted to reiterate don't lose your one-on-one spouse time yes marriage marriage takes work takes effort because as much as you need to invest in your kids if you do so not so much effort if you do not invest in your marriage she's just gonna let this one go too bite me um <laughs> if you do not invest in your marriage you're not actually being there for your children your children need to have a good example of what a marriage is like, what a partnership is like. And so you do need to make that time for your spouse. How we did that is we kind of waited until Eric had a big test or or something where like he st- he spent a lot of time away and then we would ha- have family time. The kids would go to bed and obviously we did not have babysitters available on the island. So we would dress up, make a nice dinner and we would go sit out on the, on our porch and just have a nice dinner, just us two, no TV, no cell phones, just talking and having a nice time. Sitting outside, enjoying a nice breeze, looking over the hills of St. Vincent. Yeah. So that was my, my second, and we will get a date in this week before Eric starts up mm. again. <laughs> There's like a soda ice cream shop I've had my eye on for a while, so this is this is gonna be great for me, but also maybe a little bit for her. <laughs> An old soda shop. Yeah, it's like kind of old town, old style town, town here in like Perry, uh, Perry, Georgia, and it's like oh, there's a little old soda ice cream shop, and yeah, well, someone else went there and it looked pretty good, so gonna give it a try. Yeah, we'll take the kids to Savannah and go to the Children's Museum with the... <laughs> it's still funny that we, we go to Savannah, like this big city. Everyone talks it up because it's supposed to be parks on every corner. It's going to be great. And I'm not saying it's not, but we go last Thursday. We go to the Children's Museum, which I'm pretty sure is like on the edge of Savannah. We spend a few hours in the Children's Museum. Kids get tired. Put them in the car, feed them lunch, turn around and drive back to Warner Robins. We have yet to really see Savannah. Granted, the Children's Museum is great. Yes. Almost, I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think OMSI was better or do you think the Children's Museum is better? So I like the Children's Museum because it is outside and they have like slides and stuff. OMSI had like the kids area that had sand and stuff, which was actually pretty cool too. You had more than sand. I mean, they would have exhibits and whatnot, depending on the day or the month. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say because like They're this different. one is like older style, more historical children's museum. Like yeah, they had slides and and they had slides, a maze. They had Legos. And, they had a train set. 
They had a bottle rocket demonstration, arts and crafts. And it's all outside. It's all pretty cool. And Savannah actually has wind, um, so it's not as hot. (laughs) It's still pretty hot, but it's not as hot. And then, but the museum, or at least the area, also has like an actual active train yard, an old style train yard that is like a turnstile, steam engines, old coach cars. Yeah, it's actually really kind of neat. So at least in that regard, I think it has an edge on OMSI. OMSI does have a submarine, but I've never been on it. It smells. Does it really? Well, I mean, confined spaces. How would you describe the smell? (laughs) Sweaty socks. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. A bunch of men with Stale air. (laughs) Interesting enough, if you've watched Hunt for Red October, the scene where the submarine jumps out of the water, jumps... That's the same submarine that's at OMSI. Yeah. So we're talking about OMSI because we lived in Washington, which is across the river from Portland, and OMSI is in Portland. So We didn't also have to drive two hours to get to OMSI. No, that was only like an hour. <laughs> but that's I, I think we're going to go back to Savannah this week as well. This is, again, my last week of freedom, quote and unquote, before I get into clerkships which I still don't quite know what I'm going to be doing yet. Hopefully sometime later this week they tell me what my first clerkship is going to be. So I'm kind of excited about that. Plus all the other term people who went home to study for STEP and took STEP are slowly returning back to Warner Robins. And so that's kind of nice to see a lot of familiar faces again as well. Yeah. So I think that's probably good for this week. We're just going to go ahead and wrap it up and... We will see you guys next week. Bye.